0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Epic. If you're new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and today we're in part two of a series called Stand in the Gap. And this series is based on a very challenging and humbling verse found in Ezekiel chapter 22. So I want you to listen to this verse, and this is God speaking to a group of people called the people of Judah. So listen to what God says. God said, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. Now, God spoke that about 590 BC. And again, he was speaking directly to this group of people called the people of Judah. And and let me take you back in their history a little bit. So the kingdom of Israel Started as one kingdom, and that was, they were one kingdom under King Saul, King David, King Solomon. And then, because of Solomon's rebellion, uh, that kingdom was split in two there was a northern kingdom called Israel, a southern kingdom called Judah. And prior to this statement, the the people of Judah, which lived around Jerusalem, were doing anything and everything they wanted. Like, they turned away from God. They lived however they wanted to live. They did whatever they wanted to advance their lives. Their political leaders were corrupt. Even their priests were corrupt. Corruption of all kinds was at an all-time high. And because of that, God allowed them to be taken captive by the Babylonians, Anybody know the king of Babylon that came to defeat them? Nebuchadnezzar, awesome, like you were paying attention back in Sunday school class or or something. So King Nebuchadnezzar came and defeated the people of Judah, and he took many of them captive and took them back to Babylon. Now, as they were back in Babylon, uh, God didn't forget about them. God still used some people to minister to to them during that time of captivity. So God used a man by the name of Jeremiah, who stayed in Jerusalem to minister to the few people that stayed there in, in that city. God used Daniel, and Daniel worked through the king's royal court. God used Ezekiel, and Ezekiel was a captive ministering to captives. We learned a little bit more about him last week. And then for those of you who like kind of history and understand what happened uh, from that time to what we're going to talk about today, in 539 BC, the Babylonians were taken uh, captive by the Persians. So the Persians came and defeated the Babylonians in battle. And so if you kind of look at what uh, Babylon was doing, they were defeating all these smaller kingdoms in battle and then expanding their kingdom and all the people that served them. And then a bigger kingdom came along and defeated them. And everybody that served King Nebuchadnezzar then ended up serving the kings of Persia. And the interesting thing is, through the kings of Persia, the people of Judah found great favor. So shortly after they were defeated by the Persians, the first Jewish exiles were allowed to return to Jerusalem to re-inhabit that city. And there were a few king changes that happened. And then in 479 BC, a young Jewish girl named Esther became the queen of Persia. And we're gonna learn a little bit more about her story next week. A few short years after that, in 445 BC, God used a man named Nehemiah to help go back and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem because it needed a whole lot of work to get established. Now, Nehemiah was the cup bearer ...for the Persian king Artaxerxes. And the cupbearer was a very special role within the kingdom. It was a very trusted position. And it wasn't given to just anybody. Because at that time, there was a lot of fear that somebody was going to come... ...and overthrow the kingdom by killing the king in some way. And um, even within the king's uh, friendship base and, and the people that served around him... ...he wasn't always sure who was on his side and who wasn't on his side... So he had a cupbearer who would make sure that anything he drank was not poisoned. And can you imagine being the cupbearer? Because what you had to do was you had to drink it before the king did to prove that it wasn't poison. So, like, your life was kind of on the line on a regular basis as you did your job. And that was a very special position. Again, not just anybody was given that position in the kingdom. Now, Nehemiah chapter 1 tells us that Nehemiah's brother went to Jerusalem to find out what was going on there, and then he came back and gave a report. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, he says this to Nehemiah. He says, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah, They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So we learned last week that walls around ancient cities were extremely important. Those walls provided protection for the people who lived inside of those cities. And if those walls were strong, those people were safer. If those walls were weak, if those walls could be breached in battle, then those people were not safe. They could be taken captive. They could be killed. Women could be raped. There are all kinds of horrible things that could happen when another kingdom came along if their walls were not strong around that city. And if there was a gap in the wall, if during battle one of the walls fell down, last week we used these walls up here as an illustration, if there was a gap in the wall like this gap here, a king would expect that his soldiers would stand up and step into that gap and provide a physical wall of protection. And if that soldier died, the king would expect another soldier to stand up and step in that gap, however wide that gap was. The king would want a physical wall until hopefully they could defeat their enemy. If a city had broken down walls, it meant that city was disgraced, meant they couldn't take care of themselves. And then other nations would laugh at them. They'd be a laughingstock to other nations around that were stronger and could take care of themselves. Of themselves. So when Nehemiah heard the condition of the wall, chapter, or verse 4 says that he sat down, he wept, he fasted, and he prayed. And his heart was broken. And he prayed and he asked God, please help me do something to fix this broken down wall. And Nehemiah did what we talked about last week. So last week we talked about the reality of what God is looking for in people who will stand in the gap is people who will see a need who will feel deeply about that need, and then people who will do something, not just feel something, but actually do something. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. So Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 says, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, if you drive a Nisan, you should be proud to know that your car is in the Bible, okay? You're driving a biblical vehicle, So it says, During the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. And so the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. The reason he was terrified is because if you ever stood before the king with a frown on your face, if you weren't always happy, always excited, every moment you were in the king's presence, you could be executed. Think about that next time you go to work and stand around your boss. Like, whew, that's rough. So he's terrified. And he says, uh, I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, well, how can I help you? I love this next statement. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, And this was not one of those long prayers. This was not one of those prayers filled with, you know, fasting for days. This was a breath prayer. This was, okay, Lord, here we go. I need help. I need your words now. It's on. So how many of you have ever been in a spot where you needed a prayer breath prayer? I think all of us have been in that spot. You may be in a spot at work, maybe a spot uh, at home or a spot at school or something where you don't have like hours to to pray. You've got seconds. And I love the context of this because it says God listens to all of our prayers, the long prayers, the breath prayers. So maybe we just gotta be ready. Okay, Lord, here we go. I need your help. And so that's what Nehemiah did in verse five. Uh, He said, If it pleased the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Now, I don't know if we can fully grasp how big of a deal this was. This wasn't just some minor thing. The king actually gave Nehemiah everything he needed to go and rebuild Jerusalem. And he sent him a small army with him to protect him. And I think um, what happened there for Nehemiah is something that can happen for us, but sometimes we overlook that in those moments when, when we feel a need to stand in for somebody, to meet somebody's need, to stand in the gap for them. There are moments we hesitate to do that because we think, I don't have the resources to do that. Like, it's just not possible. Like, I can't stand in the gap for that big cause. Like, I don't have enough resources to pull that off. Nehemiah didn't have the resources, but he knew who who did, and it was God. God was the one who had the resources, and God was the one who could leverage those resources from anybody he chose. And the craziest thing is God chose a pagan king from Persia to finance the rebuilding of Jerusalem. That's amazing to me. That's amazing. And so a question for us is, like, maybe we don't have the resources in a moment, but who might? Who around you might have the resources? And who might you need to ask to step in the gap with you and play a different role than maybe the role that you play? Because maybe God wants to use your heart and their wallet. Maybe God wants to use your time and their talents. I don't know who else God might want to invite you into, you to invite into standing in the gap for somebody, but maybe you're going to be the champion, the voice that stands up and says, hey, here's a need. I see a need. Will you come in and help meet that need? God can provide the resources that we need, but we just got to learn to ask and ask him, and God can release those resources from anywhere he wants. Now, with all the resources of Persia at his disposal... Nehemiah headed to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. And as he did that, uh, he got to Jerusalem. He he had a group with him. And and you can imagine all the people of Jerusalem wondering, like, what are you doing here? Like, have we done something wrong? Are we about to be in big trouble? Because we've got the king's cupbearer who's come to town. And verse 16 tells us that Nehemiah didn't tell him anything about why he was there and what he was doing. He went out at night, took a small group with him, and he looked at the condition of the wall. He did some homework before he met with the city leaders. And I think that's something that we need to, to do as well. Because uh, there's moments where we see a need and, and we want to jump in. There's moments I want to jump in and meet somebody's need in a moment. And I think what we need to do sometimes, many times, is slow down and do some research before announcing all that we're going to do to help somebody. That can help us in some big ways, in several ways. One is like there are moments we come in and we're like, man, I'm going to step in and do this. And it's kind of me centered instead of God centered. And all of a sudden we step in and then we're in over our heads going, what if I said I'm doing? And then we back out quietly and we don't want anybody to know what we said. Like, oops, I'd like misspoke or something. Um, so, Researching will help us understand what some of the real needs are and how we can meet those needs. Here's an example on a personal level. I think we've all had an experience where somebody's asked us for money. And there have been many occasions where if I've had some money, I've given some money to somebody. But often, one of the things I'm I'm thinking is, is this the greatest thing to help this person in this moment? There's moments where it really is. There's other moments where probably what that person needs is some uh, financial management training, like some help on how to manage their finances. And if I just give them whatever I'm giving them, I might just be feeding the problem instead of helping the problem. And so I think it's important for us to do some research before announcing the help that we're going to try to provide. So that's what Nehemiah did. And then he met with the city leaders, and he told them this. He said in verse 17, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then he told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Now, Nehemiah's strategy for rebuilding the wall was to divide the wall up and have people to work on the section that was closest to their home. So they would uh, work on that section, and somebody else would work on another section, and they did all of that at the same time, and they experienced amazing success that we'll hear about in just a minute. But another thing that they experienced as they began this was something we see in chapter 2, verse 19. So in chapter 2, verse 19, it says, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously, What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? So they started to experience resistance and opposition and obstacles from these fun three guys. Let me tell you about these guys. So we first have Sanballat. So he was the governor of the region north of Jerusalem, called Samaria. Then we have Tobiah. He was the governor around Jerusalem in that region around there. And then Geshem most likely governed the region south. So these guys hated the Jews and hated anybody that would help the Jews. They, he, they did not want Nehemiah to help them rebuild the wall. And the reason was because the king of Persia was so far away, they had little positions of power and influence in that region, and they liked it. They liked the control they had over the Jews, and they did not want anybody messing with that. So they thought if Nehemiah comes, helps them rebuild the wall, they're not gonna have the control that they want to have over Jerusalem. So they were very upset with Nehemiah, and they started attacking him in every way they possibly could think of. So they did things like this. They intimidated him. They made fun of him. They lied to him. They lied about him. They tried to turn the Jews against him. They threatened to kill him. They even planned to kill him. And I think that's something that we need to remember as we are standing in the gap for other people. And it's something that is surprising to us. There are moments where we' think, yeah, I'm trying to do this great thing for somebody." And then all of a sudden I get this resistance, like there's other people pushing against me. These other people don't, don't like what I'm doing. Other people are, are making fun of me or trying to intimidate me in, in some way, or trying to keep me from doing this. Like, "What in the world I'm trying to do this good thing?" And we, we run into this, uh, this uh, resistance. And I think it's a natural part of standing in the gap for people, something that we need to recognize that might happen, and we need to learn how to navigate beyond it as it does happen. Let me give you some examples from us as a church as we started. So as we started as a church, uh, we had several people tell us that it was a terrible time to start our church back in 2009, so nine years ago. And they were right. Uh, what happened in 08? Anybody remember that? Okay, the economy popped. We had a whole bunch of people moving out of the county. So as we're like making plans to start our church, we had a number of people going like, like this is a terrible time. Like, why don't you guys wait until you know, the economy recovers? And uh, we're like, ah, you know, we feel like God wants us to do this now and that God will provide the resources. And God has provided all the resources that we've needed and, and more. And here we are nine years later still going on. As we started and were telling people about what we were doing as a church, we had some folks tell us that that was the stupidest thing, our strategy was the stupidest thing they'd ever heard of. Our strategy as a church as we started, and it still is to this day, that we want to be a church for people who don't do church. And if you've not heard of that before, it's really a play on words. We're not interested in just doing church. We want to learn how to be the church for each other and for our community But not everybody has uh, gotten on board with that strategy or liked that strategy at all. So I had one conversation as we were starting out, explaining to people what we were doing. And a a, a woman, uh, a Christ follower, had a conversation with me that went a little bit like this. And I told her what we were doing, and she said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Why would anybody want to create a church for people who don't do church? If they don't do church, leave them alone. So I kind of vision cast what I understood of Scripture That if if people don't come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they'll spend an eternity in a real place called hell. And we want to do everything we can to stop that. And as I vision cast that to her, she was not impressed. Did not like that strategy. That was a wrong strategy. You should do church for church people. Don't do church for people who don't do church. And then as we were publicizing even farther and letting people know that we were launching, we came up... With an advertisement, that looked like this. This is one of our first advertisements. And um, we we chose this uh, image of this guy, well, in a T-shirt with uh, tattoos on his forearms and holding a Bible and a skull and crossbones belt buckle. We chose that on purpose. We chose that because we wanted to communicate to anybody that saw it that everyone is welcome at Epic. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what your religious background is or if you have no religious background. What matters is us all coming together to learn the teachings of Jesus and how we can be transformed by him. That's what matters. That's what we were trying to communicate. But there were some folks that felt like we were starting some sort of satanic kind of church because we were kind of promoting tattoos and skull and crossbone belt buckles. Um, I, my wife had somebody tell her that churches like ours leading people to hell. When I heard that, man, I was just grieved. And I thought that was you know, also kind of funny because over the past nine years, we've seen over 522 people put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So let me just be clear. We're not trying to lead anybody to hell. We're trying to save them from hell. Okay? That's our purpose, our mission. Lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, in the early days, We met at the Realty Building on State Road 100. And if you've been in there, you know that it's a lot smaller than this space here. So we kind of maxed the space out pretty quickly and decided, you know, we think we need to go to a second service to reach more people in our community. We got more people coming. We don't have enough room. Like, let's add a second service. I actually had somebody tell me that that was not God's will. And if I disobeyed God through that person and led our church to do this, that God would cause my wife to get sicker. My wife was battling a real issue, a health issue at that time. My wife would get sicker, and our church would die. So she proclaimed a curse over me and our church. That's a big deal, folks. Scripture also says that God won't allow a curse to land on somebody who's living rightly. And so we, we looked past that. And I wish it, that I was making that up, but I'm not making that up. And it just grieved my heart that somebody would, would make those kind of statements. I mean, that was real personal, obviously, for me in that context, but it was personal for my family, it was personal for my church family. And uh, we had to look beyond that and say, listen, like, that's an obstacle that we're gonna overcome because there are more people in our community that need Jesus, and we're not gonna let that statement stop us. When we planned our first 3G Sunday event where we go into our community to serve, we had people tell us that we shouldn't do that, that that was wrong. They said on Sunday morning we, like we need to be in a box learning about how to be the church. And I thought, well, like we do that like most Sundays, like why don't we take a Sunday and go be the church and practice what we're learning? And uh, not everybody enjoyed that strategy, but we've been doing 3G Saturday, 3G Sunday for a number of years now, and seeing more and more people actually being the church for our community. And uh, I had failed to mention this um, in the first service, but last night we received a community award from the Rotary Club for our 3G efforts. Uh, they recognized that. So all of that applause goes to God for who he is. It doesn't go to any of us, as we know that it's not about us. It's about our community. But our community is recognizing, wow, that's a place that cares about us and wants to serve us. Now, if you aren't a Christ follower, you may hear some of that and go, like, oh, church world. Like, that's why I don't, I'm not a church person. Like, I get it. But that's why we've created Epic, because we want to really be a church. For people who don't do church, we're gonna step beyond, beyond those uh, silly obstacles and reach as many people in our community for Christ that God will allow us. And so I hope that you'll join us in that, just like Nia, Nehemiah was hoping that the people of Judah would join him in rebuilding the wall. Now, the things that I've described for us are like minor compared to what Nehemiah and those people faced. They faced some major things. Their lives were on the line on a regular basis. And Nehemiah actually tells us that they had to work with a weapon in one hand while they worked with the other hand at rebuilding the wall because there was constant threat of the enemy coming and attacking them and they had to be ready on a regular basis. But Nehemiah would not allow that to distract him or them from their mission. Of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. So this is what Nehemiah basically said to all of his enemies who tried to stop him. Take a look at this. All right. So that's not exactly what Nehemiah said, but you know, as I was reading this story, I'm thinking it probably happened like that. You know, it was you know that braveheart moment. Wow, that's exciting. So Nehemiah would not be distracted. He wouldn't let anything or anyone distract him from his mission of helping Judah rebuild that wall. So Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 says, So on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. So I love Nehemiah because he always points to God and what God is doing Nehemiah saw a great need. Nehemiah prayed about that need. Nehemiah felt deeply about doing something. Nehemiah did some research. Nehemiah recruited. Nehemiah inspired other people. Nehemiah overcame the obstacles that were trying to keep him from rebuilding that wall. And God honored all of his efforts. And I think the same thing can happen in our lives. As we see a need, we stand up, and stand in the gap for that person or that great cause, uh, and help those people in need, as we pray, as we pray to the God who provides all the resources that we can need and more, as we stand up and do something, as we overcome obstacles, God can help us live like Nehemiah and rebuild a wall of safety and protection around people that he loves. So like I asked you last week, Who might you need to stand in the gap for? Who around you is in great need? Walls around them that should provide protection are not. And they need somebody to stand up and stand in the gap for them, to overcome some obstacles, to pray, to research, to hang out with them. One of the cool things about Nehemiah was he stayed about 12 years. He didn't just come in 52 days and then gone. He hung out to help them reestablish not just how they operated uh, with the wall, but how they re-worshipped their God. And so maybe you need to stand in the gap with somebody long-term, and not just for a moment, but who might you need to stand in the gap for? Let me tell you several ways that we are trying to do that in our community. So again, we have 3G Sunday coming up. And this is our chance to go out into our community and let our community know that God is for them and so are we. And we've got about 400 opportunities for us to do that. So I hope all of us will get involved in that. But over the past few years, what we've decided to do, in addition to giving of our time and our talents, was we felt like God wanted us to give of our resources as well financially. And so we added a financial component to 3G Sunday. And we've decided a few years ago that we would help some organizations in our community do what they do better, and we would stand in the gap with them. And uh, last year, for example, we helped put new flooring in the Family Life Center. And many of you were involved in that from a giving component as well as actually pulling out carpet and installing that new floor. And we were grateful to be able to do that. But this year we've decided to come alongside our partner, the Alpha Women's Center. And they do an amazing service in our community. And I want you to hear a little bit more about what they do. And so I've invited their director, Wilma, to come and tell us about it. So would you invite Wilma to the stage? So Wilma, welcome back. Round two. We get to do this again. Isn't this exciting? So this is the other third of our church family, and then we'll meet the final third in our last service. So um, tell us a little bit about the Alpha Women's Center, how long it's been in existence, and just some of the things that you all do to provide services in our community.
1: Thank you, Pastor Trent, for this opportunity. And the Alpha Women's Center started as Alpha Pregnancy Center in 1999, and our founder is Jennifer Bartlett, who's still in the community today. And um, Jennifer actually had her own crisis pregnancy, and following that, God placed it on her heart to open Alpha in order to um, help as many women as possible. And so today, Alpha still exists. Uh, we changed the name, in, well, the decision was made in 2017 to change the name to Alpha Women's Center so that we could serve more women. We found through research that the name Pregnancy Center was deterring some women from coming in and receiving our services, and we not only offer free pregnancy tests, and ultrasounds, but we also have support programs, mentoring, um, as well as a mommy's boutique, which offers um, free items, baby items, to moms at the end of each of our parenting support classes.
0: Uh, You do a whole lot for for many ladies in a moment of crisis. Now, I know that as an amazing organization doing good things in our community, you never face obstacles. Like, there's never any resistance. There's no, you know, no opposition to what you're doing. So would you describe just a few of the obstacles that, that you face?
1: Well, one of the um, needs that we have as far as an obstacle is just having volunteers not only just to pray, but also stand in the gap with us as we serve the moms. Um, right now, one of our, our biggest opportunities is to... Um, actually have an ultrasound full-time on-site. And the ultrasound challenges are that not only do we um, need son- licensed sonographers, but we also need a medical director, which over the years has been difficult for us to um, to, um attract. But thanks to God, um, now we have eKairos. Our database system had not been updated since 1999, and we recently updated it. And so the uh, medical directors can actually be remote. The The technology is HIPAA compliant. Um, and so we're taking baby steps as we go forward, but we'll, we need several things from not just the medical director, but the, the sonographers, the machines, the um, also malpractice as insurance and, and staff that are more medically um, inclined.
0: So why is a sonogram and ultrasound so important? Like, How does that help somebody as you're servicing them?
1: Um, well, because about 80% of the moms that are on the fence about giving birth, carrying their child to birth, um, actually choose life after they see the baby, um, the ultrasound. Um, and so it's it's really amazing to experience um, because I've seen that since I've been um, at Alpha since December 4th. And I there's, there's nothing to describe the watching God move on the heart of a mom when she says yes. And then we're there to walk with her along her journey. So she knows and we love to let them know you're not alone. And, and that's why we're there. That's the importance of what we do.
0: So why um, is what you do so important in our community? And if you just speak to it for a moment from a personal level.
1: Well, when I was um, 1999, actually, when um, Jennifer Bartlett was um, given the vision to open Alpha, I became pregnant in December um, 1999. And I'm a preacher's kid. And uh, both of my parents turned their backs on me. Um, I actually my dad wouldn't speak to me and that was hard because I'm a daddy's girl and my mom um, told me that she didn't have that choice when she became pregnant with my oldest brother who who was not my dad's child and so my aunt ended up doing all the arrangements um, for me to have my abortion which unfortunately happened on February 14th and so for me I was alone. I felt alone. I was in church, going to church every Sunday, um, supporting, you know, what I was raised to believe. Um, but but in that moment of crisis, I had no one. Um, but I thank God I didn't turn my back on Him. I, I just pushed in closer to Him, and it led me here to, to be used for God's glory at Alpha.
0: That's amazing. Thanks for just being courageous enough to share that with us this morning. Um, so there are some real needs in our community. Alpha Women's Center is doing some amazing work to meet those needs. And we can come alongside and support them. We actually have some volunteers that, that serve there on a regular basis. Thank you if you're any one of those folks that do that. We're going to serve with them on 3G Sunday coming up, which is exciting. Um, and in addition to that, we would love to give them a, some financial resources. And so, again, this is the organization we've chosen uh, to support financially this year. So as you leave, somebody is gonna hand you a orange envelope, it's a 3G giving envelope. And what I hope you'll do with that is you'll just take that home, put it somewhere where you can see it, and then just start praying, God, do you want me to give anything uh, towards this, this offering? And if so, what do you want me to give? And just respond and do what God asks you to do. That's between you and God. Then you can bring that back, put it in one of our giving boxes, and we'll make sure all of that goes. Now, our goal is to give $4,000 to them and we're in conversations with them about the ultrasound thing, and man, we'd love to be able to figure that out. Wouldn't that be amazing uh, to understand 80% of, of women who are on the fence will decide to give birth to their child, whether through adoption or keep their baby, when they just see a picture of their kid before it's born. Wow. So we'd love to be praying with them to see this um, obstacle overcome and this need met. So would you thank Wilma for being here again with us today? So as we close today, our worship team is going to close us with a song that we started singing this morning. We sang in the first part of the service. We sang, Unstoppable God, And as we sing that together, I want you to to just spend a few moments reflecting on all that God did to overcome obstacles, to stand in the gap for us. Listen to what Romans 8 says. Romans eight thirty eight says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing and all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So God overcame every obstacle to stand in the gap for us. He wants us to learn how to overcome obstacles as we stand in the gap for other people. So if you would, just stand with me. I'm gonna pray, and then we'll sing together. Lord, I'm so encouraged by Nehemiah's story. It's so amazing to to watch this man uh, who saw this need, felt deeply about meeting this need, and prayed to you that you would help him do something. And then he went. Like he, he took a long sabbatical from his job to go and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And Lord, I, I think he's our example. It's one of the examples for us that we need to learn from. Last week, we were learning from Ezekiel, and this week, we're learning from Nehemiah. And God, you want us to be like him. You want us to, to see that need, feel deeply about needs around us. Pray to you. Invite other people in and stand up and do something and hang out for, for a considerable amount of time, not just run in and run out, but, but show people that we're, we're gonna stay around and provide the protection, provide some resources, provide safety and security and be a long-term, long-term resource for them. So God, give us eyes to see those many opportunities we have in our community around us every day. And then give us hearts to feel, give us hands and feet to jump in and do something and meet those needs. Thanks for being a God who won't stop and demonstrating your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.